Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Kylie Jenner. Hailey Bieber. Mm-hmm. Any more big names I'm forgetting there? I think those are the big those three. Are the big... Yeah. What the hell was that like? <laughs> How crucial do you think it is for anybody to start their business? Do you think it's crucial that you need to go to university? You go from not having anyone post about your brand to Kim Kardashian, like ultimately one of the most famous people in the world. Yeah. Today on the podcast, um, we have the very talented and amazing Ali McIntosh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So we were just talking about it. AIM. Yes. Not AYM, but AIM. that's okay if we say why AYM. Yeah, so, it's yeah. perfectly fine to say that. I think it's a benefit because a lot of the time we're online and people yeah. or talking to people and spelling it out is also helpful because yeah. it's AYM. So And how did you come up with the name? You just so, told me. Yeah, so AIM stands for always your moment. So it's all about yeah. empowerment, embracing every moment, living your best life. Yeah. And also I like the duality of AIM as a target. So it's a direction. It's you're moving into the best sort of life that it. you can live. So, I wish I had put that much thought into the name of my company. <laughs> well, we used to be called Boom Boom, and I got so I got to a point where I was like, I'm just outgrowing this name. Like yeah. I like I would have these important business meetings, and I would call or like call up HMRC and be like, Hi, I'm calling from Boom <laughs> That's Boom. So funny, and it would just didn't have the. Why sort of did you originally call it Boom Boom? boom? Because I, I wanted it to be about like having a party, feeling good, like. The music, right. the sound of like music booming, all of that sort of thing. But it ju- we just outgrew it. So yeah. we wanted a more sophisticated name. Definitely fits with your brand and the type of like clothing that you do that we'll get onto. But definitely I think that aim over boom boom. It's much makes better. <laughs> way more sense. Yeah. Well, before I start doing podcasts and I do a lot of research with my wife, Amy, of, of the guests. And she was talking to me and we've been researching about the because the, I think what's really interesting about your brand is the culture behind the brand and the message like you're saying. So like my my first question is, did you plan to have such a strong message when you started your company or has that developed over time? So for me, I think it's developed over time because like one of the things that we're the most passionate about is ethical production mm. and making sure that the fashion that we're producing is leaving a positive impact in the world. Yeah. And that really came from me starting the business by sewing myself. So in effect, I saw firsthand how Mm. much hard work goes into the production process, how difficult it is to actually sew a garment, how much time is involved. And then growing the business from there, I I didn't get to the point where I was like, oh, well, we should only pay three pounds for a garment because I was like, how can we Mm. get the quality and the ethics in the production when we're cutting the costs like that? So it really just started from me doing it myself. Okay, and it just started to develop. Over, yeah. over that time period. Yeah. Talk to me about sustainability because I had um, Ben Gallagher on my podcast and he okay. he runs Lux Collective. They're like a pre-loved resale site. You'll basically Amazing. send them, you know, a designer bag and they'll yeah. kind of like we buy any car, they'll give you a price. And if you're yeah. happy with it, they send you a label and they, you know, get your product and they pay you the next day. Such a good business. All problem. about sustainability yeah. though. But he was like, we don't actually, he was like, we're a sustainable company, but we don't actually shout about that. Okay. And I was like, you should like, you should. and he's like, yeah, we we should talk about it more than than we than we should. But for you, sustainability is like your USP, right? Yeah, but it's interesting because I feel the same way. I don't right. necessarily want to shout about it because 
two things to that. One is I believe I truly believe that every company should be sustainable no matter yeah. what. So if it's built in, mm. why should it be a USP? It shouldn't mm. be something that makes a company different. It should be the standard. Mm. So I feel like if all companies yeah. can be sustainable, then like it's not something that you're like, oh, we're different because we're sustainable. Mm. Everyone should be like that. So that's one part of it. Yeah. Um, and the other is that I feel like there's, it's so difficult because you can never truly be sustainable. Like really sustainability is leaving the world in a better place than what we found it, or at least leaving it as good mm. as we found it. But really we should all be working towards being regenerative and like building a world that's yeah. better than how we found it and yeah. like adding back to the world. But in order to do that, how can you create something and add something to the world that actually adds positive value throughout the whole entire supply chain? It's very difficult it's to do so. Really, isn't it? Especially with things like logistics and delivery. and Exactly. Yeah. And so you can carbon yeah. offset to a certain yeah. degree and we do that throughout our supply chain and you can make things localized. But unless we're going back to like grassroots of you're making the clothes yourself and you're like... Mm growing the cotton in your own garden, how do you actually be for fully sustainable when you've mm. got a business model? It's, so it is it's hard a really, to shout about it then, really. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. But I think it is important to talk about and to talk about the challenges in mm. it because it hopefully it inspires other businesses to do the same because it's yeah. not it's not that it's too hard to do. Like there's things that you can do and it's worth us all working towards that. But it's just a difficult challenge to be 100% sustainable. That's not mm. to say that we shouldn't all have that as our target. Yeah. What about, so, because I think, as you're saying, more companies should be sustainable. But I think also some companies, especially clothing companies, to be competitive, it's hard to be sustainable yeah. in terms of price and all that kind of stuff. I've actually got a, um, a group of friends who have just started very niche but they've started a, a golf wear brand okay cool and they're they were just saying like how expensive it is to like get clothes made high quality that are sustainable as yes. well so what steps do, do does aim take to to get that sustainability in so in company? we have tried to keep everything as local as possible right. so we're not producing in asia for instance we're producing in the uk okay. um, and that's through from our fabric so our fabric yeah. is milled in leicester we then we use as much as we can like road travel. So we drive the products from Leicester to London in terms of the fabric and then they're made the least, in London. Uh, I guess that, that has the least CO2. Yeah, unless you're like physically walking it along the road. <laughs> Which wouldn't be very efficient. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then we carbon offset that as well um, through ecology. So we pay for like credits to offset it and things like that, okay. um, which you can build in and you can work with. There's great companies that are doing all sorts of carbon offset initiatives mm. that you can partner with as okay. a brand. Um, but yeah, we try and keep everything as local as possible. Obviously, it becomes difficult because we are international and we're sending goods internationally. So our biggest customer base mm. is in America. So right. eventually, it would be amazing if we could have production in the US yeah. and then sell like more locally and mm. kind of keep the supply chain have small. Have you explored that? Yeah. yeah. It's difficult because we're based here and quality control is so paramount to our business yeah. that if we did have it in the US, I'd then probably have to go like back and forth yeah. and like which is fine yeah. but like the impact of doing so how do we make sure that the, the quality is there and yeah. like maybe that's me being a bit of a control freak but i think every business business owner is a little bit of a control freak um yeah definitely <laughs> taking it back to uh, we obviously know how the name came about now how did the idea come about 
The idea for the brand. So I studied product design at uni. So I have always been really fascinated about creating a product for a consumer. So Mm. I absolutely love like customer psychology. Why do people buy certain things? How do they interact with products? And that for me then in my last year of uni, I was starting to explore with sewing. And I made like these really silly sort of beanies with studs on them and was like just experimenting with products I was making at home. And then I was selling them online. Yeah. Um, And it kind of just grew from there. So I made these beanies and then it turned into T-shirts. And I was like at home, like printing my own T-shirts with like drawings that I'd done and kind of just really experimenting Mm. with it. And then I started making dresses for myself to like go on nights out. Um, and people would come up to me and say, oh, where's your dress from? And then it was always a bit of a, like, oh, I made it. And then they would think that was kind of cool. And we'd yeah. have like a really inspired conversation about yeah. it. Um, and it really just grew from there. So just How, how, how much was your university degree vital in, because I, I tell this story sometimes to friends. I went to business school, like I went, well, I did business at university, but they okay. called it a business school. Yeah. I learned nothing about business. Mm. It was like the theory of business and you'd write essays on like what this theorist said about motivation and motivating a team. We had one module where the, actually the, the lady that taught it had been on Dragon's Den as like a contestant. Oh, that's cool. Um, she made, it's actually quite a good idea, actually. She made these like, I guess like one, like, uh, waterproof onesies for children that then like scrunch into a bag so like if like your kid's in the park yeah it was actually a really good idea and it, they sold in like monsoon and stuff we, so we had one module where you had to make a business and we made um a hamper company at christmas time and we launched like lo- kind of semi-launched it um but it went terribly because we made all the packaging red and you're not supposed to put red packaging on food oh it's like, no it's like danger so that was the one thing that i learned but bar that it was no help until i came out of uni and actually started to get mm. into business and that's where i learned about business but for you how crucial was your degree and your uni experience in starting aim it's interesting because i i always think that the way that i look at it now is in hindsight my product design degree was useful but mm. at the time i was like what is what is the point of this like yeah and I remember in my final year, I got given a project that I, like I, we we were given the option of choosing different design briefs. Mm. Um, So there was like a a furniture one and like all these really cool projects, like lighting design, all this sort of stuff. And my first pick, I wasn't given by my tutor. I was given my, my, the one that I didn't want. And it must've been some sort of admin error, but anyway, it never worked out. And I was given a project where I had to design detergents. Like literally that was my final year project. And you can imagine like, and that's fine. Like I'm sure there's people out there that absolutely would go crazy to design detergent bottles. But for me, I was really passionate about interiors and furniture and that's where I wanted to go. Mm. So I had to spend the whole last year trying to get excited about detergent designing detergent bottles like (laughs) like washing up liquid bottles and things like this and it just wasn't where my heart was Mm. so but in hindsight it allowed me like working through that process product design is set up kind of like business but you're doing you're actually in the trenches with it because you're designing the product you're designing like how does it look on the shelf how does it stand out to a customer like how are people going to engage with this product and I think doing product focus at uni has allowed me to really come into the fashion world from a point of view of I'm understanding the customer and mm. like I put the customer and the product first yeah. I'm not putting the 
oh, it's got to be the latest trend or it's a conceptual design that yeah. doesn't actually work in everyday life. So I think it was beneficial from all of those points of view. But at the mm. time, I found it like just a bit rubbish, really. Because <laughs> I, 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 when I was at uni, I was always like trying to scout a business partner, like a future okay, business partner. Yeah. Because like there's, there's a few things that, apparently are quite big stats about going to uni like a, a really large proportion of people find their future husband or wife yeah and in business school a lot of people find their future founder now i ended up partnering with my wife who yeah. i was at uni with but we weren't dating at the time anyway long story short so you got both out of it got both yeah actually That's i great. never thought of that <laughs> yeah i actually nailed that um but what is there anyone at uni that you you still work with like did you ever yeah, get any so, contacts out of uni yeah um maddie who's in some of our tiktok videos mm. i went to uni with her oh okay um, cool. and it's really fun actually because when we're doing tiktok videos we're both because we've had the product design training mm. we're both thinking like oh what are the benefits of this product and like how do we best communicate that and how is the audience going to interact with that mm. so the two of us working together works quite well with yeah. that um, but she's doing marketing now as well. Yeah. So she comes into it from like a marketing perspective too. Do you, uh, how crucial do you think it is for anybody to start their business? Do you think it's crucial that you need to go to university? I don't believe so. Yeah. I think, I think if you're going to kind of choose whether you go to uni, it kind of depends on what the path is that you want. So mm. if you're not sure of what you want to get out of life and you yeah. kind of want to experiment I would say like go and try as many jobs as possible yeah. but if you're keen on something where it requires a certification and a certain level mm. like my partner's a sports therapist right so he had to go to uni to learn the science-backed data to do his job properly yeah. like those sorts of roles absolutely you yeah, need to go yeah. to uni and you have to do that learning but for for jobs like ours I think that mm. there could be a lot that's done in the job itself where you learn and like I wonder if you went back to uni now or did a business course now oh, whether get, you'd get more get out so of it so much more out of it yeah because like the way that I did uni was it was I did nothing for the whole year and then for two weeks I'd just cram yeah. just before exams and stuff you're so, a big procrastinator yeah well I don't know if my friends at uni will believe this because I spent a lot of time in the library around that period and I think that that was like my superpower was that I and I've still got it now I think I am happy to work for 24 hours straight. Like yeah. I can just do it. I just, I, and I know I've got that in me. So now if I ever, if anything's going wrong, I'm, I'll just be like, well, I'll outwork the situation. Okay. So at uni I had that. So I was a procrastinator. It was more that I was just enjoying the social side of university more yeah, than fair enough. anything else. Um, and that's also an important part of it. Very, very important part. And I always say about university, because when people say to me like, oh, I just don't know if to go to uni or if I go start a business. I just always say, make sure you're going to uni for the right decision. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to please a family member or if you're going because you think you need a degree to get into a certain job, you're never going to get out of uni what you want. So many of my friends that went to uni are not working in careers that they went to university for. It's basically like the accountants of my friends or the lawyers of my friends. Everybody else like went and did like geography and is now in like quantity surveying. So it's... It's definitely not not a necessity at all, in my opinion, especially yeah. starting a business. Yeah. I'd rather, like Sophia, my daughter, if she ever says to me, I don't know whether to go to uni or start a business, I'd rather say, have a year. Or actually, this is a good thing. Ben, who I was speaking to, Ben Gallagher, said that he doesn't like this concept of giving kids 
a year, like a gap year to, to start something because then you're putting a time li limit on it. Okay. His parents were just like, go and try it. Take as long as you want. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you can always go back to uni or go get a job. Mm, interesting. So I think it's just, to Sophia, I think that I'm very much going to be like, if you want to try and run a business, I will help you do that. And then if it doesn't work, then you can go to uni if you want. But I do think the social element of uni is a big one. Yeah, 100%. Like it, especially if you're from like a small town and you maybe don't have like loads of friends, like to be able to get into university and just have that experience from a networking point of view, because you're forced to, and it's a lot of it, for, a lot of it is like forced fun. Like they make you go to like societies and things like that. But yeah. it, it, it especially if you actually put yourself out there, it teaches you to get out of your comfort zone and socialize and talk to people and all that kind of stuff, Definitely. which you don't get at school. Um, one of the things that obviously we do is influencer marketing. Yeah. Which has played, I'd say, quite a big role in your launch of your brand. Yes, it definitely So has. I've got down Kim Kardashian, yep. Kylie Jenner, Hayley Bieber. Mm -hmm. Any more big names I'm forgetting there? I think those are the big those three. Are the big, what yeah. the hell was that like <laughs> when they were when you saw them like wearing your, your stuff? It was crazy. I mean, with Kim, um, that was she was the first influencer to post and it was right. it was crazy because you go from not having anyone post about your brand to Kim Kardashian like ultimately one of the most famous people in the world yeah. posting about your brand it yeah. was just insane and um we had a feeling so her um personal assistant got in touch with us right. and put through an order um and we kind of sent it out to her and we had like this big the whole team was kind of buzzing, like, oh my goodness, mm. couldn't believe that this was going out to Kim Kardashian. Sent it, and then it was like six months of nothing. And we were like, oh, it's so deflated. Thought there's no way she's ever going to post it. It's probably amongst like her millions of clothes of mm. Balenciaga and Dior and all these amazing designers. And why would she pick out our stuff? Um, and then there was this one day where I opened up my computer and there was a picture of her and she was wearing our skirt. And I, I was like there, like zooming in on it. Like, is this our skirt? Like trying to look at all the specific details yeah, yeah. and like figure it out. And I messaged her assistant and said, oh my goodness, is she wearing our skirt in this post? And then they confirmed yes. And like that we were okay to they, repost it. They didn't it. tag you though. No. Oh, so it was no. like a paparazzi picture of her. She didn't post right. it on her oh, okay. um, yeah, Instagram fair. or anything. Um, and then they said that we're, that we're okay to repost it. So we did. And like, it was just amazing. And the press that we got off the back of that yeah. was pretty cool as well. Um, but yeah, what was amazing about it as well is that like a month later, she used to have Kim Kardashian West.com as like her website and she'd post mm. like um, fashion tips and things like this. I don't know if it was actually her posting or whether she had a, she probably had a whole team yeah. of people yeah, running yeah. it. But they posted get my look and it was her wearing this outfit and then she linked directly to our website through her site so I was just sitting there at home oh and like our traffic was going berserk and I was like what is going on and I could see that the source was kimkardashianwest.com and she had linked like an actual backlink wow. to our website from her site like recommending yeah. our product which was like oh like she didn't have to do that it was it totally unasked for anything this is probably a bit of a rude question but did it convert so it didn't initially okay. but i think what was happening was that it built up it built up our brand reputation yeah. and i think that the benefit of working with celebrities like that is it might not necessarily convert straight away and also yeah. when they're wearing it the the conversion from like the tagging of the post yes over time that converted yeah. more 
more beneficially than the paparazzi images because mm. no one, there's no way of like knowing where that's from. So people yeah. like look at it and think, oh, well, I liked that bodycon maxi dri- maxi skirt that Kim Kardashian was wearing. I'll try and find something similar and they don't know the exact brand and things like that. Mm. Um, but I think over time, what it did was by having someone like Kim and Hailey Bieber and Kylie Jenner wear the brand, it allowed us to sort of certify our quality because when these celebrities are wearing our brand and they've got a choice, right? They have like this closet full of amazing designer brands and they're choosing to wear AIM. Mm. So for us, it's like, well, that puts us on this like level that we want to be at where they're choosing to wear us and I think our consumers are seeing that as well like it's good enough for them so it's good enough for me and like it's like a certification badge definitely it's like a verification badge on socials like tick yes these big these big celebrities are wanting to wear our brand yeah therefore that is influence marketing in a a nutshell isn't it yeah you can tell me honest like I want you to be dead honest here Mm. what do you think of influence marketing like do you think that it is like worthwhile for any brand? I think the whole concept of influencer marketing Mm. is influence and the sort of definition of influence is to have an impact, right? And I, so I think that it goes without saying that influencers have an influence on their audience, but it has to be the engagement, like I'm talking to an expert here, but <laughs> I think well, it boils. Expert, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> it boils down to having authentic connections with your audience. So, mm. um, like my social page, never thought it would happen, but it's grown quite right. a bit recently. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about that. <laughs> and it's, it's mad, but I'm able to build these relationships with my audience that are so powerful. And yes, like it's my brand and I'm talking directly about something that I'm passionate about. So it has like, I don't know whether that's like an unfair advantage or whatever, <laughs> whatever but it from firsthand seeing the influence that that has is I can say... it creates impact in a business. Um, And it it also has the impact of this feedback cycle. So Mm. I'm having conversations with our audience where they're letting me know what they like, what they don't like. Like if they, if I launch a dress and they're saying, oh, I've got my graduation coming up and I'd love to see a version that's like below the knee, that's feedback that's so beneficial to the business. And like, Mm. so having that audience connection is vital. And I know that when, when you're removed by a certain degree from the influencers, say when I'm looking at it from AIM's perspective, if we were hiring influencers to then talk about the brand, Getting the communication right is probably really vital because if that influencer is talking about things that aren't necessarily on brand or they're not highlighting the benefits that you want them to, then Mm. there is like a degree of like separation from it. Um, Whereas for me, I'm going directly to the audience and that feedback cycle is happening like straight away. Um, Nevertheless, like that that person, if that person has like a genuine appreciation and passion for that product, they're going to share it with their audience because they care about it. Yeah. So yeah, 100% it has a benefit. For anybody that's like listening that maybe is starting a business or they have a business, but they haven't delved into using influencers, creators, whatever you want to call them, celebrities. What are some of the pitfalls you've been through since working with them that maybe people should avoid? Um, I I think it's about positioning 
your brand, making sure you understand what your brand values are and then positioning mm. the brand strategy and influencer marketing strategy around that. So for mm. example, AIM, we pride ourselves on being ethically produced and working towards sustainability. Mm. And that means that we want to be a bit selective about who we're working with in terms of influence. Yeah, you can't just partner with someone that never talks about sustainability, right? Yeah, and because, mainly because we might be gifting like those products or paying for that collaboration. And mm. if that influencer is then trying to talk to their audience, but their audience is used to the prices of fast fashion brands, mm. it's not going to work. No. It's, it's just going to be too jarring for their audience to try and figure out like, well, why is this dress priced at 150 pounds mm. versus what I'm used to where it's like 20 quid a piece, yeah. you know? So like, it, so it has to be strategic about the approach. Um, and I think it's challenging when you're starting a brand because you have no budget. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because the yeah. influencers want payment or they want gifted mm. products. And I've only got like five of these. And like, I want to sell the five of these. I can't give them away for free. Yeah. But it's like figuring out, well, if you're allowing for 10% of your stock range to be influencer gifting, yeah. like that's 10% marketing cost effectively, like work out from there. So interesting because obviously we're on the other side of it mm. and we're like, work with these people, work yeah. with these people. But I do pride ourselves in, in trying to make sure that we're not just putting anybody in front of any brand. It, it needs to be the right fit because ultimately it comes back to bite us in the ass if it doesn't perform well yeah so there's no point just put i was just speaking to sedge about this from scene connects and she was saying that they they focus so much on just getting the right individual for the campaign so my advice for anybody starting influence marketing is don't just size doesn't matter mm. it's not just about partnering with the best and biggest yeah it's about who you're partnering with and be and like you're saying be very very selective yeah definitely that is. and like your message about you know empowering women within the business you need to be partnering with creators that are also talking about that because then it all feeds in. Talking about the, the the concept of empowering women in the business, how do you go about doing that? Like, Where's the starting point for that for you? So I think it's about making sure that everyone has a voice ultimately. Yeah. So if, if everybody in the supply chain can speak up and talk about things it's yeah. kind of like what you were saying about outreach like you've got this empowerment what kind of worms that opened up? <laughs> but doing that yeah. and being open to pushback from the team or yeah. like different di directions and like having a team that's empowered to, to have a voice mm. is so vital in that process because if they find that actually something isn't working yeah. for them or like they feel uncomfortable about something or they just want to raise something, you know, something could be done better. They feel like they can speak up about it. And mm. that's so important in building a company that's built on ethical values. Yeah. So ethical ultimately means doing the right thing. So yeah. as long as you feel like you're doing the right thing and everybody yeah. can choose to do the right thing in your company, then you're building an ethical foundation for something. So mm. yeah, empowerment comes through like being able to talk about it. I think it's taken me a good year of running this business to not saying that I didn't ever want any of the employees to make any of the big decisions because mm. like ultimately at the end of the day, it has to fall down to the founders of the company to make the big, big decisions because it's on them if, if it goes wrong then um, or if it goes right, it's on them. Hopefully. Yeah, you've got the responsibility. But you've got that responsibility there. But it's, it's taken me a while to make sure that we are starting to open up decision-making to the wider team. And even like I was saying before this about, you know, the name of the company, the brand colors, mm. stuff like that. 
that's like one of the first things that I've really just started to talk to the team about. And I don't think you need to, I think the key thing is making it an environment where it's not just in big meetings, they can raise their voice. It's like every day we can just have chats. Like this whole thing about the logo was just a chat in the office, but you need to start making that environment so that you, like you say, you can empower people in the team. One thing I fucking love about influence marketing is it's female dominated. Like the industry is completely That's true. female dominated. Like, and But the issue is, I'd say 90% of the top agencies are still run by men. So what's your experience in the fashion industry of, of like the split between not just individuals within the industry, but like the people running the industry? Is it is it female dominated, say, male dominated? I mean, I I think it's very similar. Like, I don't have the stats on yeah. it, but I would say the fashion, the female fashion industry, is hugely <laughs> outweighs the male fashion industry yeah. in terms of consumption, oh, like yeah. everything that goes into it, and one hundred percent the top people in the fashion industry are men. men yeah 100 percent. what how do you think that like short of just launching your own brand how are you how what are the pathways for for women to get to those top places like and what or what could we put in there it's difficult isn't it because the top if you look at the boards of the top fashion companies mm. if they are predominantly men yeah. you're relying on those boards to turn around and actively be like well we'd like to invite more women to the yeah. seat here like yeah, yeah. and if if that's not happening then it does rely on ground up like mm. other women running their own businesses yeah. and showing that there are other voices to be heard and mm. other ways of doing things um i mean for me, it's been it's been an interesting journey with this because I started my fashion business with absolutely zero experience. And I have come across men in the industry who are fantastic and support me being a woman bringing these yeah. ideas to the table. And then I've come across men who aren't. Yeah. And who, they might not openly say it, yeah. but a lot of the time it's kind of like, well, that's not right or that doesn't work. And it's kind of like this constant shutdown thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, if that's the case, you've just got to prove those people wrong. That's it. Um, and did you think that your age is what, because you're very young for running? Yeah. Through, was the age thing a big barrier? The age. Well? So I think actually the age was bigger, was a bigger challenge for me than being a woman. And I think yeah. that was, that's probably easy for me to say because I was making I was making clothes for my audience that were like me. Like, so it was mm. like easy for me to make a dress for a woman because I'm a woman. So it was like natural, yeah. but my age was definitely a challenge, <laughs> especially when it came to hiring my first staff, yeah. because I was like a 21 year old girl who had no experience doing this. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I, just, I, I had some pretty horrible experiences in the beginning with staff who, yeah. Obviously don't work for me anymore, <laughs> but that was all part of learning. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, just kind of being taken advantage of because you're young and you don't know and you've got to learn through, do you've got through to learn that experience. Through, through so, failing really, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's like what you said though, you have to prove those people wrong by being undoubted, undoubtedly amazing at what you're doing. Yeah. Um, our team is super young on average. And I love it because I think the industry, our whole industry as a whole is young because the consumers are young of our industry. So yeah. you have to be young to know like how they think. Yeah. Me being a 45 year old, 
I'm not saying anything bad about 45 year olds, but me being a 45 year old <laughs> trying to teach somebody about TikTok just doesn't yeah. work. I have, we have to be a bit younger. But I think that what I love about the industry is also sometimes what I don't like about the industry because those young people are so talented, so, um, so hardworking, so just like so on it. But then it's at, sometimes it's also their downfall because they haven't got that experience. So in your company, do you champion younger people? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think that age is an issue ever. No. I mean, you could get someone that is older who is less driven. You could get yeah. someone that's younger that's more driven. You could have it the other way around. You could have like employ a 60 year old who has like the most energy and yeah. like wants to learn and yeah. is proactive. So age doesn't come into it at all. Yeah, if you're listening to this mum, you're 60, it's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's funny though, my sister just turned 38. She just turned. Yeah. And every year she says the same fucking, same thing to me. She's like, so old, so old. I'm like, you say this every year, Tash. And then you like have a few weeks off and then you're fine again. Mm. Um, but I think there is, I, I, I know, I completely agree that I don't think age is an issue. But she, she, I think, says to me, and she kind of feels that in certain industries, when you start to get older, people do look at you differently. Mm. So really, you're never in the right space. You're either too young or you're too old. So yeah, it's the same so with just everything. Stop forgetting, it? like, stop <laughs> thinking about your your age because it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, going back to sustainability quickly, have you ever been tempted to like, like I don't know. From my point of view, I'm constantly looking at our P&L sheet, our bank balance, like making mm. sure we can like, you know, keep going and operating. Have you ever been tempted to like, I don't know, take the cheaper option when it comes to creating products? It's so hard to not do that. Um, and I think this is ultimately you have to build for sustainability in the beginning. So mm. if you're factoring in the fact that sustainability is going to be more expensive and you've built your product prices in the right way to account for that, yep. you'll be fine. But when when you are developing a product, so like we are, we're putting out clothing into the world that we have this audience that's very actively engaged and they give us feedback all the time and a lot of the comments, probably the majority of the comments that we get actually are around price point. And I think that- what, being too high? Being too high, right. yeah. So, and I get it because our prices are high, mm. but there's a reason for that. And what I try and communicate is unless we sacrifice something, the prices are as good as it's going to be to mm. achieve that within yeah. it without sacrifice. So you have to maintain that level. And- it is very hard. Like we went through a period in 2020 and 2021 where I had to make some really awful, tough decisions. I had to let go of team members. I have had to really streamline the business because we weren't making the profits that we needed to. And it was really difficult. Like yeah. one of the hardest parts of my life and like obviously it impacted the people that I had to let go. And like, it was probably the worst experience that they've mm. ever been through. And at the in those moments when you're looking at it and you're like, there's this person in front of me and I'm having to mm. make a decision as to whether we reduce our product prices and sell more mm. or make these tough decisions to stay true to our values, then that's so like difficult. your back's up against the wall in those situations. Like, yeah. And you, you have to stick to your guns with it. That's where you've got to stay true to yourself. And yeah. that's why having a message and a, and a goal like AIM 
is so important because then that that dictates your decision making because if someone is sat in front of you and you're telling them that there's no longer a job here for you yeah but you do have an option in the background of maybe making it cheaper mm. it's got to be tempting yeah because it's because it's because i think that 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 is one thing of running a business and i think that's the hardest thing i ever have to do is let people go it's horrible because i think people i was speaking to ben gallagher about this and he he, he said such a great thing of he was like, I just hold my hands up and I tell them I've messed up. Yeah. Like I've hired you either like you weren't ready or we weren't ready as a business. And I, I say, listen, I'm sorry. There's no, like, hopefully there's no hard feelings. You might hate me, but like I've messed up and I'm really sorry about it. Yeah. And I never thought about that because I was thinking you, you always feel like you're coming across as the dick. Mm. But if you do just hold your hands up and be like, I've made a mistake here. Like whether it's like we couldn't actually afford you. Or like, again, in the hiring process, we should have seen that you weren't ready for this role. Then it's a lot, it's a lot easier to, to, I guess, put yourself through that experience. But it is one of the worst experiences of running a business. Yeah, definitely. In, in the world. I think the way that I tried to process it was going into those tough conversations. I'm not trying to be liked. Like, I'm not trying to come out of it. Like right. looking like a good person because that's not what I'm going in for that conversation mm, for. Yeah. So trying to think like, oh, how can I come out of this like looking good? Yeah. Like I just tried to put that to one side and say that, that ultimately this has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with this person. Like how can I make sure that they've got everything that they need to make this as comfortable as possible for them? Yeah. Like redundancy packages or like anything like that. Yeah. So they've got the tools that they need to then find other employment and yeah. like good references, all of that. Um, obviously it makes it a lot easier when something has actually gone wrong because then it's like, well, this is why. Yeah. <laughs> like you can be strategic yeah. about, okay, well, I know why it hasn't worked out and like we have to go in different ways and all of that. But those conversations, I don't think they're never easy. Like that's the hardest part of running a business that and like making sure that the finances work right. I think for me have been the hardest. Oh, hundred percent. <laughs> I think that I was, I forgot what movie, I think it's Moneyball, the baseball movie. Oh Yeah. They say in that, he was like, because they had to trade somebody. And he was like, mm. I don't know how I'm going to tell him he's getting traded. And yeah. he's like, he's an athlete. Just tell him the facts and walk out of the room kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, because you overthink it in the lead up to it. Massively. And I think that if if you actually just stick to the facts of the matter, like this didn't work, this isn't adding up, like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Whether they can take it in that moment or not, I think that further down the line, they'll, they'll be like, I understand why why this happened. And, it, and it's in the best case for everybody because we have to, we obviously sign a lot of talent, but some of the talent doesn't work out. So then we also have to, unfortunately, part ways with some talent. Yeah. So my talent managers are having that experience of effectively firing somebody. Um, and it doesn't, luckily it doesn't happen too much. Mm. It's happened more as we've grown because like, it's we're, bounty we're proportionately. A lot, we're a lot, yeah, exactly. And we're a lot pickier now than we used to be, I think, in terms of talent. So they're now having this experience and they constantly are like, oh, I don't know, like, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. What do I say? Because like an employment relationship, in that talent relationship, you have such a close connection with all the people that you're managing. And I always say you've got to stick to the facts because if you try and bullshit them with something that, you know, oh, well, this is happening and this person made me do it and like just lying to people they'll see straight through you and that's not how although the truth can sometimes hurt yeah it's definitely the best way of, of handling those situations 
because if if you try and bullshit people they'll just they'll see straight through you they will yeah and i think leading up to that it's the way that i've tried to approach it is you try and avoid that at all costs so I've tried to build in like this kind of like three point plan that you work through what are the other alternatives? Like, can you raise, can we try this? Or like, Mm. can we try that? And you do it in a formalized process so that if it does get to the crunch point and you do have to make that tough decision, you know, you've made, you've had three meetings about performance. You've gone through everything involved in that. You've given them that person ample opportunity to turn it around Mm. three times and then it's not worked. You can clearly say, look, we tried this, we tried that. Like this didn't, this hasn't worked out. How, How have you found that though? I think that one of the things that I've been through is, it's really hard to give people multiple chances when you're small. That's true. Because you've not had investment, right? No. So it's all your money. Same here, like all, all mine and Amy's money. And not that I would spend somebody else's money a bit more freely, um, in case any investors are listening. Um, <laughs> but it it's hard to be like, okay, you're now getting three chances, which might be over the period of three or four months, if not longer, Yeah. which is three or four months of money going out that might we might not be seeing a return on so how have you how do you you reconcile that in your own brain that you're giving this person well i totally get that but the way that i look at it is if you've employed someone you've invested in them already so you've invested in they know the brand they know the processes all of that training that's gone into that person is really valuable and it's vital to try and find a solution to keep that person engaged and creating good return on that investment that you've invested in that person before kind of letting them go. And I think if it was just, if you had like the ability to do a quick training process, like it was really easy to understand the brand, like, I don't know, you work at McDonald's or something and you can have like quick staff churn, fair enough. Like if it's one mistake and they're out the door, fine. But I think like giving people more opportunities to make things right is fair. But added to that, what you, what I try to do is to build in staff performance and Mm. I need to get better at it because I'm, I'm like, I would love to be more consistent with my approach and like have more regular meetings, but I'm aiming to have like once a month check-ins, like talk through performance, figure Mm. out how the team is feeling about certain things. And like, but I do have regular informal meetings with the team and like, making sure that they understand what the priorities are, making sure that they have the support that they need in their role. Mm. And by doing that, you've got this opportunity to constantly like check in on the progress without micromanaging people. Mm. And then it hopefully will avoid that happening at all. Yeah. Um, I know easier said than done. It, but. Is, it is. And I, I just want to be clear, like I definitely think that you have to give people ample opportunity to um, to make mistakes. Yeah. You need to make an environment as well where people where it's okay to make mistakes. Definitely. Especially younger members of the team who maybe haven't been in that many jobs before. Yeah. I think sometimes they're so worried to make a mistake that they, it actually makes them become indecisive. Yeah. And you're just like, So how do you lead from the front on that? Do you like make mis- mistakes openly yourself and Yeah. Oh, good question. I think I think I do. I'd love to I'm actually going to speak to the team about this. I I think that I do. 
mm. think that when I make a mistake, I I tell I because we have a very if you're in our office in the day, it's so loud. Yeah. Like everybody's <laughs> talking to each other, like like they're laughing, they're having fun. I think instinct instinctively and just naturally, I probably do show mistakes. I probably can get better at it. And it's just hard to be like, hey guys, I made a mistake today. Yeah, I know. But, but I think that like I, I for example, a good example is I was doing a negotiation with a brand the other day. And I went in at a fee and they immediately accepted it, which is a red flag because it means that I went in too low. Yeah. So I managed to salvage it because like I renegotiated, but I did tell a lot of the team about that because I I want them to realize that they can mess up. I think the the issue nine times out of 10 comes if they're, for example, in a promotional cycle and they're wanting to hit their targets for promotion, they don't want to show any weakness Mm. or if they're on probation. If you're on probation, they're very new to the company. Nobody wants to make a mistake. And I definitely need to get better at that because effectively this job is very much a sales job. And I tell the team that all the time, which is you're selling talent, right? So there has to be targets because the brands have targets, the creators have targets, and we as a business need to have targets. Yeah. But I need to make sure that everybody's not solely focused on those targets. For example, one thing that I've just done I've just taken two people off probation that didn't hit their financial target because they did so many other good things. Those kind of messages are key, but also it is key to show that if you're just completely not caring about your target, well, that's not okay either because there needs to be a balance in that there. Definitely. But it's a good question how I lead from that. I probably can do a better job of that. Well, your example that you gave is perfect. Yeah. I think being upfront about those sorts of things and le- leading it as an example, like, yeah. look, guys, this is what's happened. This yeah. is how I handled it. It's like a great example to yeah. build sort of a team playbook from. That, and that's one of the things that I'd love to talk about because one of the funny things I think that people have misconceptions of business owners is that they know everything. Oh, absolutely. I know not. Like, I literally probably know nothing. Yeah. I just, or like, at least, like, I knew nothing about the industry before I got into the industry. I've just learned it. I love, I mean, the the podcast is called Lessons We're Learning, but I love learning. Like, I actually did like university. I don't know why I said that earlier, because I actually do like learning things. Like, I love, I I used to video edit. I used to love to learn to do that. I used to do photography. I I loved learning that. And I think that that's such a key element of any any business owner or anybody or in anything and I think that it's a massive misconception that you know everything how have you dealt with with that where because everybody comes to me and they've got line managers and stuff but everyone ends up coming to me at the end being like what do we do here and I'm just making it up as much as they're making it up but it's based on now experience and like I know I did that last time and it worked let's do it again how do you deal with that I think it's a bit of a mixed approach so Oftentimes I'll ask, I'll kind of bounce that question back and I'll say, because I think that the team needs to kind of actively learn together. And I, I feel confident about how I'll make decisions on most things. Mm -hmm. And that's not for me knowing it's like a feeling. I think if you have core values in a company and you use those as the mechanisms to make decisions, then my hope is with AIM that it will allow me to make clear decisions on things based on what where our values lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but if a team member comes to me and says, oh, I don't know what to do about this, mm-hmm. I'll ask them, like, what do you think? Like, how would you approach it? Let's talk through some suggestions that you've got. Mm-hmm. And then it's more a collaborative conversation. Not telling them how to do it. Yeah, and then, figure it out I mean, there's yeah. certain things where you have to, like when yeah. it comes down to like, 
I don't know, an HR policy or like it's HMRC and you have to account things in a certain way. Like mm. obviously there's certain things where you can't just kind of make it up together. Yeah. But with most things where it's like, oh, what what time should we post this? Or like, are we, shall we do this in the photo shoot? And like, should we experiment with that? It's mm. kind of like having that collaborative approach to it. And that brings into play empowerment. Yeah, definitely. The because they're effectively making their own decisions and yeah. you're not telling them how to make decisions. Yeah, 100%. And if you build that from the values of the company and then every team member is empowered to make decisions, effectively you can run a company where mm. you're not getting everyone come to you all the time because they are empowered to make decisions yeah. and you also trust them. Like there's this relationship where I know team members in my team don't need to speak to me for like a couple of days. And I feel really confident that they're yeah. getting on with work and they're doing an amazing job and they're making informed decisions based on what they think is right. Mm. And that's been built through like 10 years of this sort of collaborative working. Yeah. So, um, Another thing that I really wanted to talk to you about, I just talked to Sedge about this, is work-life balance Yeah, when you're running a company. Because <laughs> yeah. I, and I loved what, I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to tell you what she said because I want to hear what you, you have to say about this yeah because i don't want to um i don't want to have this as a loaded question okay do you think work-life balance is possible while building a business yeah, yeah i do because ultimately the way that i see it is like work if you're trying to achieve work-life balance effectively it's framing a question as what are you choosing to spend your time doing? Are you, and you're seeing work as this separate thing to life. Mm. And uh, this might be coming from the perspective of a workaholic. <laughs> so take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. But I see if you're working on things, and obviously this is like a really privileged position to be in, but if yeah. you're working on something that you're passionate about, that you enjoy doing, and that you're curious about ultimately, like you you have these questions coming to, to your mind at like in the middle of the night and you can't wait to wake up and like work yeah. on them, then why should there be such a thing as like segregated work-life balance? Like if you're mm. passionate about something, why do you have to put it down? Mm. Why do you have to say, oh no, I'm not allowed to do that today because I have to go and enjoy life. Like if you're enjoying doing that, yeah. then why why do you have to put it down and stop? And obviously yeah. it becomes like you, there needs to be a level of like making sure that your mindset is like your mental health is good and that you're seeing your family and mm. all of those sorts of things. But hopefully the hope would be that you're doing that naturally anyway, because you're doing the things that you want to be doing. Yeah. Um, and if you're, I think the risk comes when if business, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you're building your own business and business is really tough mm. And you're spending your time doing things like having to make really tough decisions. Like you're not actually enjoying the work that you're doing. You're like feeling burnt out. You're absolutely mentally exhausted, but you don't have a choice and you're having to stay up until 11 o'clock at night. And like, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's where, okay, you need to be having some conversations with people around you and making sure that people are holding you accountable and you're practicing self-care and you're being productive with yourself as mm -hmm. well as the business. But ultimately, if you can find, if you are passionate about what you're doing you're enjoying it I don't see why you have to structure life so rigidly yeah. between the two I love that I love that I I was what I was saying to Sedge was I think it's an unrealistic message to send to especially young people but goes yeah. for old people as well that you can start a business and have like this 
I guess like quintessential work-life balance that everybody talks about like clocking off at five having the weekends all that kind of stuff I just don't think I mean I might just be really bad at business and maybe it made maybe I had to work all the crazy hours I just don't think it's the right message because what I think ends up happening is you tell those people you can have the work-life balance when you're starting they then don't succeed because they're not working harder than their competitor and then they get disheartened and then they stop yeah so you, I think it's a better message to say it is going to be hard. But like you're saying, if you're doing something that you love and you're actually passionate about it, it's not so much going to feel like work. There'll still be things like admin that you're going to hate doing. Yeah. And then build that into a so structure, right? So then you can right? build that in when you started to perform yeah. perform well. What What was your big, like, I want to ask this to everybody who runs a business that comes on the podcast. What was your biggest learning that you wish you'd known prior to starting a business that you now know? Um. I don't know if there's like been one big yeah. lesson. It's been like a multitude of different things that I've learned throughout the business. But it's funny because um, like my sister and her partner are currently setting up a business of their oh, own. Really? Um, and like I look at it and I'm like, oh, okay, right. I could go in and I could structure this and mm. I could tell them what to do with this. And I'm like really bossy, actually. <laughs> so I just kind of want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I look at it as like, gosh, I have... I have spent 10 years learning this process from the inside out, like making all of these mistakes. If I can help them as much as possible without trying to tell them what to do, they could fast track that and they could like kind of learn from my mistakes on it. But I try not to be bossy and I try and like (laughs) be like, okay, they're going to learn their mistakes on their own. Mm. But yeah, there's, there's a ton of things I've learned through the last 10 years that have made an impact on the business from Mm. like learning about accounting to staff stuff, like what we were talking about, how, how you have those tough conversations, like Mm. in the start of the business, I probably avoided having those conversations. I just put it off and put it off and put it off. And like, then it just builds up inside of you and it like creates so much stress and you can't focus on other things like you just have to learn how to deal with those processes um and then from everything like learning about marketing and learning about how to the tone of voice like how are you talking about the brand and the captions like how are you responding to customer inquiries how are you building out like workflows and automating Mm. systems and things like that um but yeah I think I think if there was gonna if I was gonna give an example of like one key lesson yeah it would probably be something that I've kind of picked up on recently is that there's all there's most of the time going to be a way of making something easier. Yes. And if you can find a way of making it easier, you'll probably save a lot of time, resources, money invested, et cetera. So as an example, we ran the company for like... <laughs> six years doing distribution ourselves like we were trying to be the experts at Mm. shipping and packaging and everything and then during covid we realized well actually we don't have a choice we have to shut down the office it's not operating like this and we started working with a 3pl so a third-party logistics Mm. handler that was something that for me like I had to kind of let go of the ego and the control freak in me to say actually I'm happy with someone else processing the parcels and it was tough because I viewed it as a big as a key decision in the business to keep the parcels being wrapped by us because I felt like, well, how is anyone else going to do as good a job as yeah. we are? Because it's like we're writing the customer's name and like mm. we're packaging it for them when we really care. But that decision, making it outsourced, was like a huge impact driver in making the business grow 
because ultimately, where before we were struggling because we would get these orders come in overnight and we'd have to rush to the office and like me and Amy and Lucy and Elizabeth are all like wrapping the orders mm. and like there's we can't scale. Yeah. Now we've got the ability to scale. So initially it's a tough choice, but ultimately if it makes life easier, it's worth doing. 100%. So, it's such a good tip for anybody, anybody starting a business is take the time to think about your processes. Yeah. Don't, because you do, because you get wrapped up. Starting a business, you're doing marketing, starting a website. Yeah. You've got to do like the sales. You've got to do go everything, everything, right? So you don't stop to think sometimes. And I, that's such a good point is if you look at your processes and the some of the, the people I speak to with the biggest businesses that I know, before I started a business, they were like, it's all systems. Mm. I was like, what does that mean? Like, it really is. And it really like, well, at least if you want to scale, it's, it is systems yeah. and coming up with those systems. And each industry is different and not systems aren't always possible in all facets of every industry. But yeah, figuring those out early on is so key. So I think it's it's good that you're being bossy with your with your family and yeah. launching a business because <laughs> it'd be so frustrating if they were like doing it a different way and you're like no don't do it like this I please know, do it like this. I, and also but it's easy to say that from the outside isn't it because you whenever yeah. you're outside of something you can be like oh well that obviously doesn't work and like mm. they should do it like this and that would create results but when you're inside there's so many internal factors that are like oh but I really care about this and actually you have yeah. to take a step out of it and say does the customer care about that mm. and if the if the customer cares about it, great. If it's going to make a huge impact to that customer's experience, then yes, keep it there. Mm. But if not, if actually ultimately taking that thing away, and I'll, I'll try and give an example. So again, with the distribution, the customer didn't care. Like they didn't care if it was me they wrapping know, a parcel versus no. Tom at the distribution center. Yeah. Ultimately, they care about the quality of the clothing being great and the wrapping, the packaging and stuff being obviously like eco-friendly and like yeah. forest certified and all of those good things that go into it and at the end of the day they probably prefer it being done through a 3pl because they get their parcels quicker it's so interesting. so like that for me is was such a big learning was figuring out that nobody actually gives a shit about nine th nine out of ten things that you yeah. are caring so i used to like care so much about what our instagram bio said and <laughs> yeah. even just like yeah the color of the company and things yeah. like that and i i guarantee like nobody cares yeah it, and it and it again that's a good learning for anybody starting a business is actually figuring out what 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 your customers and your team really care about yeah you have to take the self out of it so like for us yeah. we had this amazing office space we were in this old brewery building it had like three times height ceilings and like these gorgeous arches and it was grade two listed and it had this amazing barn door that rolled across and it was just like full of character and I loved it but during COVID, we had to take a step back from it again. COVID has like opened my eyes to so many things in business. Mm. Um, and we had to take a step back from it and make a decision to leave that space. And for me, I realized ultimately like the customer doesn't care if we're in this building or not. Like it, that does not make a difference to the customer. Like, do they care if I'm sat at home working on this business or sat in this amazing office? No, it has no impact on them. No. And if anything, by making by coming out of it, can we greater benefit the customer? Yes, yeah. because we can work with distribution that's quicker. We can work with more factories. We can get more designs well, on the just website. You've got more money in your pocket yeah. to, to invest into other parts of the business. We can grow. We can invest more yeah. in sustainable fabrics. Like all of these benefits that mm. come out of saying actually... 
I don't need an office. Like the office is about self. Like mm. for me, for that, like yeah, it's true. not functional for our brand. Like there will come a point where we're scaling and we need like, I'm thinking about it again now because I think in like a year or two, working from home might not be something that we can do at the scale no. and the level that we're getting to because we'll want to have like roundtable meetings with the team. I to think talk it's always going to get to a point where you're going to have to have to go back into an office yeah. if it grows. But you've got to make the decisions based on like what benefits the customer now? Does this thing actually benefit the customer? Because ultimately through anything, whether you've got a service or a product, it's customer. Like yeah. customer is everything. Yeah. And if it doesn't benefit them in any way, then why are you doing it? Sorry, Josh, we're going to sell sell the office now <laughs> working from home you need it for things yeah, like no. this well right? yeah well that's the other thing it, it wouldn't be as professional does, if does we're doing this in your no. living room <laughs> oh, no. it, it benefits the team yeah to have an to have an office and that's the other thing you have to think about obviously is is the office there for the team yeah do they love it but that see it still circles back to the customer mm. because if the team if what you're doing and the team and your customer might be your influencers or might be their brands yeah if your team is operating effectively, they're feeling inspired, they're coming into work and they're able to solve problems and there's like this community, yeah. that's ultimately benefiting the customer. Yeah. So that's beneficial. 100%. What I found in my business, we, we're able to do that without the team being in one space. Yeah. So we've made it work, but it is a challenge. Yeah. So It's tough. Yeah. My final question yeah. that I'm asking everybody, because I want everybody to leave positively, okay. is what is your one big tip for a positive mindset? Because you're a very positive person. So I want to yeah. know your, your main or a few tips for your for positive, positive mindset. Well, ultimately, I think it comes down to gratitude. So being able to reflect on things and understand that you've got gratitude for what you've got. And it might not be exactly where you want to be yet, or you might not have the things that you are striving towards yet. But if you can be grat grateful for the here and now, then great. Um, also I feel like there's, and I don't know if this link, maybe it does link to positive mindset, but remembering that everything is kind of temporary. Mm. So I think it's easy to get bogged down in like, oh, it's not, it's not perfect and it's not how I want it to be yet. And I've got so much to do. And like this big challenge has come in front of me and I don't know how to work around it. Um, but seeing that as like, well, that's a temporary challenge like mm. it's something that you've got to work through now but it's not going to be there forever so kind of just take take every day as it is mm. um but also I think like you spoke about um running a business like you need to have passion and you need to like be able to get up every day with yeah. like, passion and that it's not going to be every day but I think one of the key things is like remaining curious and yeah. if you remain curious and you allow your curiosity to drive you, mm. I find that makes me feel positive because yeah. when I'm like, if I wake up in the morning and I've had like this thought, I don't know, you, you might be the same yeah, as yeah. like a business owner, you're constantly thinking about things. And it actually, sorry, I'm jumping around a no, lot here, fine. but it circles back to what you were saying about um, working a nine to five. If you've got a curious mind and you're working on things that are creative, ultimately as mm. well and that that applies to business processes that applies to like figuring out how to automate things like which could be could sound really boring but yeah. actually could be really creative and fun if you're curious about things and you're trying to fit that curiosity and the creativity into a nine to five 
it's not going to necessarily work because mm. creative thoughts and curious processes that you're working through in your mind come to you mm. whenever. Like you can't switch your brain off. You can't say, okay, brain, we're doing nine to five today. Mm. You're doing 24 hours. Mm. So I often find that I'll wake up like in the middle of the night and I'll write something down on my notepad or my side of my bed or I'll like wake up in the morning and I've thought something through. And that curiosity leads me to feel like excited and passionate and that leads mm. to like positivity. So... I find that if there is a challenge, I try to look at it as like, well, this is a learning opportunity. I'm like curious about how I overcome this challenge. Like I'm trying not to get bogged down by the negativity and actually seeing it as like, it's positive that I've even got this challenge. Like it's positive that I've got an opportunity to learn. And Mm. again, that circles back to gratitude. So yeah, a whole whole mixture of things. I I love it because I think what curiosity and learning does is it gives you hope. Yeah, definitely. Because you're like, well, if you're learning and being curious about something, it's usually because you don't know it yet. And then yeah. there's nothing that can go wrong there. It's all positive. So I yeah. love that. Ali, thank you so much for coming on. Thank love you. this conversation. Um, good luck with everything with AIM. Thank you and, so much. And um, please come on again soon.